And he rose and immediately took up the pallet and went out before them all, so that they were all amazed and glorified God, saying, We never saw anything like Son of the Holy Spirit. Amen. The second Sunday of Lent, we dedicate to the memory of one of the 13th century bishops of our church, Gregory Palamas, who was the Archbishop of Thessaloniki. Now keep in mind that He wasn't canonized until three-quarters through the 13th century. But Great Lent had already been in development. And so, believe it or not, the second Sunday of Great Lent before his canonization was dedicated to the memory of St. Polycarp of Smyrna, whose martyrdom we read about in the early, early writings of the church since he was a first century, uh, beginning of the second century martyr. But after the canonization of St. Gregory Palamas, the fathers of the church placed his memory as the second Sunday of Great Lent because they looked upon what he had defended, what he had lived, and what he had taught as a second Sunday of orthodoxy. And so it made sense to them to put it right after the Sunday of Orthodoxy. And both of these Sundays of Orthodoxy, which in a sense defend the victory of what had been held everywhere and by all and in all places, were both rooted in the Incarnation. Icons, as Father Timothy said last weekend, uh, is at its heart a defense of the Incarnation, that God became man and that we could behold Him and His glory, that of the only begotten Son, humanity and divinity in one person. But what St. Gregory Palamas lived and what he experienced and what those who were around him experienced and those who came before him had experienced... And what he defended also was at its center a defense of the Incarnation. Think about this for a moment. If God became a part of His creation, if He indeed became a human being, yet remained fully divine, fully God, then wouldn't that divinize our human nature? Wouldn't it sanctify it completely? How could there be a complete union of two natures without confusion and not have the human sanctified and made divine and holy by that union without ceasing to be human? 
And so what St. Gregory experienced and lived and what those who came before him also had experienced and lived, but what he became the mouthpiece of and the defender of was that if God truly became man, then we can indeed become partakers of his divine nature. We can be healed of our passions. We can see the uncreated light that Peter, James, and John saw shining through the face and the clothing and the body parts of Jesus on Mount Tabor. That this was, in fact, His fully divine and uncreated energies being communicated to human beings who because of their union with God, because of the fact that they had been baptized into Christ, and that they were recipients of the holy sacraments, that they too were filled with grace and therefore could see that which was uncreated, which was brighter than the sun. Historically, during St. Gregory's life, a philosopher, a Christian philosopher from the West named Barlam, who was extremely bright, extremely well-educated, an extremely gifted speaker. He came to Constantinople and he became a professor of theology. And he began to influence people. He traveled to Mount Athos. And he began to hear the teachings of the Hesychasts, those who were practicers, practitioners of stillness, of inner silence, of the Jesus prayer, who themselves claimed that they had seen the uncreated light and described their experiences to Barlam. Balaam believed very strongly that no one could know the essence of God. And all of the fathers of the East would have agreed with him. But he knew nothing experientially of God's divine energies. God has become a man and he has revealed himself to us. He claimed that the light of Mount Tabor was not uncreated that it was created. He said, as so many in the West said then, said before him, and still say today, that the center of the human being is the rational faculties of the mind. Whereas in the East, all of the fathers would have said that the rational faculty is subservient to the noetic faculties of the soul. That this is the center of the human being. But Barlam said that the only way that we can have communion with God is through our knowledge of God. Illumined knowledge, never to be sure, but knowledge. That we can know Him by His teachings. We can know Him by the witness of creation. We can know Him by what He has revealed. But we cannot know Him directly. This is heresy, he said. And the teaching of the Hesychasts that the uncreated light of Mount Tabor is heresy. That they have seen the uncreated light is heresy. That they can know and experience God directly and be healed of their passions and become partakers of divine nature, noetically, is heresy. And so, Gregory, who was an abbot, 
who was a man of prayer and contemplation, who had surrounded him with a bunch of disciples from Mount Athos, who was well known in the city of Thessaloniki, was pulled out of that way of life and called to Constantinople to enter into a series of debates with Barlaam. When it became apparent that the debates were not bearing fruit, he was asked to write, and he wrote two treatises, the Triads and the Tome of the Hesychasts. And these treaties were examined by the church at councils. And in those councils, the teachings of St. Gregory Palamas were upheld, and the teachings of Barlam were deemed heretical, and that they were not what the Orthodox Church had held at all times and at everywhere and by all. He then became the Archbishop of Thessalonica, but even around that time, what we don't always remember is that, just like in the iconoclastic controversy, whenever there were authorities and people of power that were swayed by the heresies, the defenders of orthodoxy were persecuted. Gregory Palamas suffered four years of imprisonment. Even after he was made the Archbishop of Thessaloniki, he was exiled and he was tortured and he was beaten and they would have killed him had he not been able to give them and bring them a handsome ransom. Eventually he was ransomed out of his captivity and he was brought back to Thessaloniki. He died and only nine years after his repose he was canonized. That is a speed of recognition of holiness that has never been seen since St. Gregory Palamas. Imagine how widespread the understanding of his significance, how widespread the recognition of his holiness, how widespread the recognition of the miracles and the teaching and the place that he held in the church would have to be for only nine years to pass before he was unanimously canonized by the church. And then shortly after that, the second Sunday of Orthodoxy was dedicated to his memory. Why is this significant for us? First of all, it's really significant because we look at the saints that surround us, all around us, in an Orthodox church that's built as a temple, it would be above us as well. All of your senses would be filled with this cloud of witnesses that have come before you. And it makes real the fact that if God became a man, then it is man's calling to become gods by grace. To literally be partakers of His divine nature. To be sanctified and divinized and made holy that He has entered into His creation to raise it up and to sit it at its right hand, at His right hand. And we need to remember that, especially today in the 21st century when we are surrounded by minimalists, by mediocrity, and by unholiness. Where are our examples? Where are our heroes? Where is reality staring us in the face? It is in the saints. 
in their teachings, in their experiences, in their relics, in their miracles, in their holiness. Secondly, St. Gregory Palamas was a hesychast. If the root word is isihia, which means stillness. You young people and you old people alike, today where is your stillness? Where do you find it? When you wake up, you're listening to something. When you're on your way to school, you're listening to something. Even in the day, when you should be focused totally on your studies and on your teachers and on your work, you're bombarded with constant noise, constant stimuli, constant information. You come home, it's the same reality. It used to be that the TV was the only source, or the radio, but not anymore. Now, the whole entire world is coming into your brain through the internet. Most of you, or many of you, have been born into this reality. Where is there silence between the head and the heart? Our Lord said, when you pray, go into your room and pray in secret. And your Lord who sees you in secret will reward you. The room is shutting out every noise and every stimuli and having stillness and quiet with your God. How is God going to reach us if we have no stillness? If we are no longer as Christians, lovers of quiet? The Lord was found often. It was His custom to go away and pray in stillness and loneliness and quiet, oftentimes in the middle of the night, because that was the only place that the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords and the God of the universe could carve out of his busy life quiet and silence to be with his Father. When, and I can't remember who the desert father was, but he was a well-known desert father. His disciples knew that he always had a life-saving word to give to pilgrims who would come to visit him and seek wisdom from him. But he also knew that these pilgrims came from the world and it was hectic and it was noisy and there was constant, constant words filling their heads and their hearts. And so these disciples had these pilgrims come, and he, they knew that these pilgrims were hurting spiritually, and they needed good, sound, wise counsel. And so they brought these disciples, these pilgrims, to this wise elder, and they built him up, saying, He's going to give you a word that's perfect for you. Make sure you listen and that you take it to your heart. And when the elder received the guests, the pilgrims, they waited, and they waited, and they waited. And not a word came out of the elder's mouth. They were confronted with absolute and deafening silence. And they were almost angry and confused. And they told this elder's disciples, he told us nothing. He said nothing to us. 
And the disciples came back almost angry to the elder and they say, Elder, we told them that you would give them a good word. Why didn't you speak? And the elder said, If they are not edified by my silence, then there is nothing that I could say that would penetrate their hearts. God says to us, by upholding and holding high the memory of St. Gregory Palamas, that it is silence that we human beings need. Yes, we live busy, hectic lives, but if we are not lovers of silence and carving out intentional time to go with the head and the heart into our own room and shut all of that out and pray to our Father in secret, how can God reward us in secret? So my dear brothers and sisters, I want to close with this beautiful Ex Apostilarion, a hymn during Orthros that talks about St. Gregory Palamas. Rejoice, mouth of the theologians, the Holy Father's boast. Rejoice, O wisdom's dwelling place, tabernacle of stillness. Rejoice, O greatest of teachers. Rejoice, O sea of discourse, instrument, instrument of the active life. I love that. Because even those who are active and busy and have important things to do, it is stillness that is their agent that enables them to be successful in their active life. Without prayer... We cannot be united to God, and without being united to God, we can do nothing. That's an amen. (laughs) Rejoice, summit of contemplation, and one who heals illnesses and passions besetting mankind. Rejoice, the Holy Spirit's shrine for those on both sides of this life. My dear brothers and sisters, we are to fast, we are to give alms, but the foundation of these things during this great Lenten season is prayer. And prayer can only be fostered in an environment of stillness and silence and quiet. Where are we going to find the quiet in our lives if we are not intentionally competing for it, fighting for it, scraping for it? So my challenge and my encouragement to you all is... Find that time. Make that time. Make it a priority in your life. Go in a place where there are no distractions. Turn off the thoughts. Take your prayer rope. Repeat the Jesus prayer. Focus it on your heart. Rain it down as raindrops fall on the desert floor. Call into your presence the presence of Jesus Christ Himself by the power of His name over 
and over and over again. Thoughts are going to try to assail you and pull you away. All of the stimuli and all of the information and all of the noise which we are all addicted to is going to try to barge its way in. Keep repelling it. Keep focusing and attending, attending to the name above every name, raining it down upon your heart over and over and over again, day after day after day, quiet time after quiet time after quiet time. And all that we boast and rejoice about St. Gregory Palamas and all of those like him who have come before us will be something that you begin to experience. It will be so life-changing and you will begin to understand the life of the saints around you as you enter into closer and closer communion with God. He heals you and He helps you to receive the divine grace and the gift of spiritual knowledge, which transcends everything else that the world can offer. It will make you your very best, so that you can go out into the world and be able to achieve those important tasks that God is calling you to. Because the agent of the active life is prayer conducted in silence. Amen.